It's Amy's Table, a girl's guide to living with Amy Tobin on Q102. Pull up a chair and join us. Stephanie Lukianovic has been a picky eater for most of her life, and at 27, she still wouldn't eat vegetables. And then the unexpected happened. She became obsessed with cooking shows and cookbooks. She went to culinary school and became a food writer, a cheesemonger, and even worked on a Jacques Pepin cooking show. She's the author of Suffering Succotash, a picky eater's quest to understand why we hate the foods we hate. And she's joining us today on Amy's Table. Hi, Stephanie. How are you? Hi, Amy. I'm good. How are you? Good. I would like to know how a picky eater who didn't eat vegetables at 27 made that transformation. (laughs) Well... Love and shame, very, very (laughs) powerful motivators. Um, I talk about this in detail in uh, the chapter Love and the Picky Eater, but the fact of the matter is I was dating a guy that I met in England who is now my husband, and he eats everything. And I was well aware of the fact that at 27 I should be eating more, and I was very embarrassed by the fact that I wasn't. I saw it as a character flaw that I wasn't, and I didn't want him to know about it, so I kept it quiet, but... He knew a few things, but he didn't know the full extent of it. And then with his sort of patience and just my desire to get past all of this, uh, I started trying more and more things. And when I discovered foods that I thought I'd previously disliked, that I actually did like them, I got more adventurous. I started cooking more. I was watching cooking shows and getting every food magazine I could because all of a sudden I just realized there were so many more foods out there that I'd been eating that I now loved, and I just wanted to learn all about them. And it took me to such a level that I went to culinary school in my desire to become a food writer and editor, which I later did become. Well, you know, it's funny. You say something huge, and that is when you started cooking. I think that, you know, when you have a child who's a picky eater, the fastest way, in my estimation, to get them out of that is to have them start to cook. I think there's something about the control or the getting to know the ingredients before they're presented in a way... Don't you think? I think it's true. I think it can help. I did like to cook as a kid. That was something I was interested in because, as you said, it was about control. When my mother would go out of town to look after her mother, she left me in charge of the family in terms of cooking. And I was really excited because this meant I just got to cook the foods I wanted to eat. So none of the vegetables that I Ah. didn't like would appear at the table and so on and so forth. But it is about control, and I do believe that well, I don't think it's going to cure every kid who's a picky eater. I think it, it does help to see the food in a different context, to demystify it, to take away the potentially scary or gross elements if you see what it's like raw and you see what it's like cooked, and then you get to decide maybe somewhere in between there where, where how cooked is it going to be for you. Right, exactly, or what parts you might still pick out, but there's other parts you know you're willing to eat, you know? Exactly. So what do you think creates this picky eating sensation. Why do some people hate the foods they hate? Well, it's so many things and they don't they're unable to say if it's just one or the other and they're, you know, unable to say if they can know that it's all of them together, but there's biology at play here, there's um genetics, there's your learning history with certain foods which uh, you know is when you've eaten a food and it's either made you sick or maybe as a baby you were just learning to eat more textured solids, and it makes you gag, is, is totally normal when you're getting used to solids. Mm-hmm. And your body interprets the gag response as, you know, there's something dangerous in your mouth that's trying to protect you, and it sets up a neural pathway that potentially is going to warn your body in the future that food's dangerous, stay away from it. And so for some kids, maybe one green vegetable did this to them, maybe some pureed peas. So not only are they going to 
avoid peas, but they might turn against all green vegetables. That's what one occupational therapist told me. Um, so that's an ex- you know explanation for learning history, and one we can relate to. Right. Uh, another we can relate to is eating a food and throwing it up, and then being off that food probably you know for some people for life. That that's uh, the powerful response that the brain has to being so afraid of a food that you gagged so hard that maybe even you throw up. So there's a lot at play. Genetics can come into play with um, picky eaters might have an anxiety trait gene that is carried over from their parents, and they have found that more people with anxiety, are, they're more likely to be picky eaters, less so the people who are fine with jumping out of airplanes. They're not going to be afraid of succotash or something like that. Well, it's interesting because somebody just told me that we're genetically predisposed to either like or dislike, or should I say like or hate, cilantro. Yes. Well, okay, so this is, this is a very interesting article in the New York Times a couple of years ago by Harold McGee that I cite in the book when I talk about uh, exploring the, learning, the neural pathways and how you can reset those previously fixed pathways to, from dislike to like. Mm-hmm. And the idea being, again, your body's protecting you. So uh, in the article, McGee talked to a, a neurologist who said, when you try something new, your brain is trying to figure out, okay, what is this new thing? Have we had it before? It sort of scans its database, and if it can't find... That if it can't figure out that you've had it before, it tries to find something that is chemically compatible, something that it can relate it to, because it needs an answer to what this is in your mouth before it can decide what it's going to do with it. And often with cilantro, the chemical makeup is similar to something we wouldn't want to eat, something in off the ground, something bug-like, something even chemical. Mm-hmm. And then your uh, brain interprets that as this is bad for us, this is poisonous, and the neural pathway can be set to dislike, and so you don't enjoy that food. Now, those neural pathways can be reset, and that's pretty much what happened to me when I changed uh, my opinions of foods I knew that I hated to things now that I like and even love. And a way to do it is, well, you you have to keep eating that food, and you can have it with other things that you like so that maybe the what you dislike about the food, whether it's the texture or the flavor, is sort of is sort of that dull roar in, in the background and you're no longer focusing on how much you hate it. And then maybe you can wean yourself off of those other things that you like that's with the food you dislike to the point where you fully accept that flavor or that texture and you've reset that neural pathway. So it's kind of like learning a new language. I mean, truly, you know, it would be awkward for me to do this with you in French right now. But if I had to repeatedly and repeatedly and repeatedly, it would get less awkward. And I could, you know what I mean? Is that sort of it? It's less uncomfortable and suddenly you can find pleasure in it. I think it's true. I think it's definitely true that uh, these things that you've learned to be uncomfortable or unpleasant, possibly, not always, I mean, I'll be honest with you, there's still foods that I'm, I'm not going to uh, like. I just wrote a thing for the Washington Post yesterday that goes into detail about why I don't like bananas, and it's, it's tongue-in-cheek because I cite historical references about radiation and tarantulas in, in the bunches and uh, <laughs> slip-and-fall accidents that were a part of bananas' history back in the early days of uh, you know, cheating the insurance companies. <laughs> so, That's good thinking uh, on your feet, I'll tell you. I was thinking to myself, there's going to be kids listening today who are going to say to their mom, you know, I'd love to, but my neurotransmitters cannot be reset. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, you have to want to do it. And I had the impetus of, as I said, love and shame. They're pretty powerful motivators. You have to have something that's motivating you, and it's not your parents saying this is healthy because kids, you know, <laughs> they'll, they'll eat anything as long as they're told it's not healthy. Exactly. 
but uh, they, you have to want to do it because if you, if you're being made to do it against your will, or if you're not all the way there yet with I'm going to really try to accept this food, um, you you're setting yourself up for failure, and it's very hard for people. It it was maybe easier for me than it has been or could be for others. I've met and spoken to and interviewed other former picky eaters who have become foodies. And for them, again, they had a powerful motivator that set them on the path of, okay, this is what I'm doing. Every week I'm trying a new food, and, you know, they had rules. Like, I'm not going to just, Amy from Georgia, I interviewed her. She said, I'm not just going to eat, you know, if I'm going to like beans, I'm not just going to eat a can of beans from Kroger. I'm going to go to the James Beard Winning Chef that lives, you know, that cooks in Georgia, and I'm going to have his beans because I know he's going to have in-season vegetables. He knows the best way to prepare them with the best ingredients. That makes so much sense. You know, my dear mother was a great cook, but she could not cook fish to save her soul. And soul, S-O-L-E, too. And, uh, (laughs) sorry. And I hated fish as a kid. And if you have some well-prepared fish... Everything changes. So, you know, you got a good point there. Go out and try it with somebody who's got some real talent with preparing it. Well, there is so much to learn in Suffering Succotash, a picky eater's quest to understand why we hate the foods we hate. And you can find out more not only in the book, but also at Stephanie's website, grubreport.com or on Twitter at grubreport. And just interesting stuff, Stephanie. Thank you. And I'm going to put your uh, top five tips for picky eaters surviving a dinner party, which may I say is very sneaky. I'm going to put all of that on amystable.com. Thank you so much, Amy. Thanks, Stephanie. Great to talk to you. Okay, you too. Thanks for listening to Amy's Table, a girl's guide to living with Amy Tobin on Q102. For more, visit Amy's blog with Q102 online at wkrq.com.